Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches part four of his series, Sent, Living a Life on Mission, in this message from February 3rd. Over the last several weeks, we have been discussing together the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples and by extension to us. As a father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You and I are sent people. We are sent, as I said, into our neighborhoods, into our communities, into the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore we are to live our life on mission. One term that we have used in this series and that you have heard um, in different contexts is the word missional. And this word means different things to different people. But I think Ed Stetzer helps us understand what this word missional means when he writes, missional is a way of being that leads to a way of acting. The missional church is made up of Christians who are called through God's gracious redemption to live for him and his great mission throughout the world and who are sent out to be co-laborers with God to accomplish his mission in the world. This is a mission that God sent his son on and it is a mission that he sends his people on. So missional Christ followers and missional churches are joining Jesus on mission. They care about the things that Jesus directed us to care about, serving the hurting and loving others, which is the great commandment, and seeking to proclaim the gospel to the lost which is the Great Commission. And so when we talk about, when we use the term missional, we are not just talking about missions, which is one aspect of the church that the church often engages in. We are talking about a lifestyle, mindset, a a way of living that impacts and shapes everything that we do. This mission which we are sent to participate in is rooted in the identity of God himself. God is on mission. By nature, he is a missionary God, and Jesus is the embodiment of that mission. Jesus identifies himself as being sent more than 40 times in the Gospel of John. Then he turns and he sends his disciples, and by extension, he sends us. Therefore, we need to see ourselves as missionaries within our own postal code. When you stop and consider the words that Jesus spoke in Acts chapter 1-8, you shall be my witnesses in Uh, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth, we realize that there are people who are called to Judea and Samaria and other parts of the world, but many more are just called to reach their Jerusalem, those they live beside, those they work with, socialize with, and rub shoulders with on a day-to-day basis. But we do not undertake this mission in our own strength and with our own ingenuity. Jesus promised his disciples that he would send the Holy Spirit who would empower them to be his witnesses. So in spite of their weaknesses, in spite of their limitations, they would be infused with the spirit of Christ. And this same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead descended upon those first disciples, those first century disciples. And this same Jesus takes up residence in our life the moment we place our trust in him. When we follow the leadings and the promptings of the Holy Spirit, I believe, and I've said this before, he will take us to places and people we never imagined going to. 
stop and think of people within our community that, and places in our community that you never thought you would ever go to. When we are sensitive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, when we follow his leading, he is going to take us to those people and to those places. But we come now to another important aspect of this missional life, and it is simply this. We are sent into our neighborhoods, into our community, and into the world with the gospel. Just as the early church recognized that everyone needed the gospel, we too need to come to that same realization. However, it is important that we understand what the gospel is. If someone were to ask you, what is the gospel? What would you say? How would you answer them? If someone approached you and said, tell me what is the gospel, what would be your response? The term gospel simply means good news. It has a rich background in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. But the basic meaning of the term gospel was simply the announcement of a good message. For example, when soldiers went out to battle, people waited breathlessly for a report from the battlefield about the outcome. Once the outcome was known, marathon runners dashed back to give the report. I mean, that's why Isaiah wrote, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. The watchman in the watchtower would look as far as the eye could see into the distance. And finally, he would see the dust moving as a runner sped toward the city to give the report regarding the battle. The watchmen were trained to tell by the way the runner's legs were churning whether the news was good or bad. If the runner was doing the survival shuffle, it indicated a grim report. But if his legs were flying and the dust was kicking up, that meant good news. In Paul's day, good news usually referred to a message from the emperor that was delivered to the residents of an empire. A herald would would stand in the town square. He would blow the trumpet. He would announce to the people who gathered there, I have good news to you and for you from the emperor. And so in the simplest form, this is the meaning of the word gospel. It is good news. And Paul wrote extensively about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus. But in what sense is it good news? If you understand what other religions teach, then you understand why the gospel of Jesus is truly good news. You see, there is no good news in other religions. Every other religion has bad news to deliver. And the bad news is this. You must work your way to earn God's approval. You are under a heavy burden of guilt that you have to work and work and work to try to absolve. You will never know when you have done enough to earn God's favor. And so when you stop and think of it in that way, that is not good news. It's bad news because it is a system of works. A student once asked Dr. Harry Ironside, there are literally thousands of religions. How do you know which one, which is true? He replied, there are not a thousand of religions. There are not even hundreds of religions. There are only two. One which tells you that salvation comes as a reward for what you have done. And one which tells you that salvation comes by what somebody else does for you. That's Christianity. All the rest fit under the other. Religion is spelt with two letters. D-O. 
Religion is a list of things people think they must do to be accepted by God. Go to church, give money, keep the Ten Commandments, be baptized, pray every day, and do good works. The list is endless. It's always do, do, do. If you want to go to heaven, you must do something and keep on doing it until the day you die. And you can never do enough. Christianity is spelled with four letters. D-O-N-E. Christianity is not based upon what we do, but upon what Christ has already done. If you want to go to heaven, you don't have to do anything. You simply trust in Jesus Christ and what he has already done for you. And that's a whole difference. Do versus done. Either you do it yourself or you believe that Jesus Christ has already done it for you. The Apostle Paul said this about the gospel, about the good news. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Paul's statement that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is in accordance with the scriptures reminds us that every book, passage, and verse of the Bible points to the world's need for redemption and God's gracious work to accomplish it for us. The gospel is the good news that God's kingdom has come in the person and work of Jesus Christ. From Eden to the restoration of all things, the scriptures are filled with a message of God's great rescue of his people. You see, the gospel addresses the most serious problem that you and I have as human beings. And that problem is simply this. God is holy and he is just and we are not. And at the end of our life, we are going to stand before a just and holy God and be judged. And we'll be judged either on the basis of our own righteousness or our lack of it, or on the righteousness of another, that being Jesus Christ. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived a life of perfect righteousness, of perfect obedience to God, not for his own well-being, but for his people. He has done for you and me what he, we could not do for ourselves. But not only has he lived that life of perfect obedience, he offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to satisfy the justice and righteousness of God. Charles Swindoll writes, The gospel is a joyous proclamation of God's redemptive activity in Christ Jesus on behalf of man enslaved by sin. When we embrace the gospel by faith, we believe that Jesus lived and died for us, paying, for the, paying the penalty for our sins and providing us forgiveness. And that he was raised victoriously and bodily from the grave and lives for us today. All this is motivated and accomplished by God's grace. When we repent of our sins, confess Christ as Lord and trust in him, the gracious work of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, in other words, the gospel, restores our relationship with God. Therefore, the gospel is not just a sequence of steps like the four spiritual laws. Those are essential, but what makes the gospel good news is that it connects a person with the unsearchable riches of Christ. Listen to what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. 
of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. John Piper says, Forgiveness of sins and justification are good news because they remove obstacles to the only lasting, all-satisfying source of joy, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not merely the means of our rescue from damnation. He is a goal of our salvation. He is not satisfying to be with. If he is not satisfying to be with, there is no salvation. He is not merely the rope that pulls us from the threatening waves. He is a solid beach under our feet and the air in our lungs and the beat of our heart and the warm sun on our skin and the song in our ears and the arms of our beloved. This is why the New Testament often defines the gospel as simply Christ. And then John Piper goes on to say, what makes the gospel gospel is that it brings a person into the everlasting and ever-increasing joy of Jesus Christ. The everlasting and ever-increasing joy of Jesus Christ. The gospel points not to a teaching or a philosophy, but to a person. Paul says that all we need for salvation is found in Jesus and in him alone. A person is righteous, sanctified, redeemed only through Christ. Salvation is found in what he did. Therefore, a gospel-centered mission always includes calling individuals to place their faith and trust in Jesus. Personal response to God's work of redemption in Christ is central to a biblically informed view of being missional and the church's calling in the world. But this gospel we take into our neighborhoods, communities, and the world is a polarizing gospel. In Paul's day, the Jews demanded miraculous signs. To them, a crucified Messiah seemed ludicrous. The Greeks, on the other hand, wanted wisdom and eloquence. To them, the gospel sounded weak and unimpressive and, and foolish. Yet the gospel sounded glorious to those who embraced it. In it, they saw God's power and learned God's wisdom. Leon Morris wrote, The sign-seeking Jews were blind to the significance of the greatest sign of all when it was before them. The wisdom-loving Greeks could not discern the most profound wisdom of all when they were confronted with it. The gospel will always be an aroma of life to some and the stench of death to others. We must remain we must remain aware of its polarizing impact on the world. Remember that the gospel always works. Some love it, some hate it, but the good gospel always calls people to make a decision. And so the gospel is good news. The best and most important news in the world. It is good news because it comes to us from God. It's good news because it tells us what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's good news because it can change our life. The good news of the gospel is that sinners can be saved while they are still sinners simply by trusting Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The gospel is everything. It is our only message. And when we embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, it informs and shapes every aspect of our life. One of the dangers for you and me is to believe that as, soon, that 
that the gospel is only a guarantee of eternal life. That the gospel is, is only believing in Jesus so that when we die, we will go to heaven. But the gospel is much more than that. The gospel shapes everything that we do, everything that we say, every behavior that we engage in, every encounter we have, every conversation we enter into. The gospel shapes everything, our very lives, our very words, our very behavior. And so you and I need to ensure that we don't fall into this mentality, this kind of thinking that, well, I, I know the gospel. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. That's not the missional life. When the gospel impacts us, the missional life kicks in, so to speak. And everything we do and everything we say and everything we engage in is shaped by the gospel. Our generosity, our words, our conversations, our, our practices, they are engaged or they are shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to gather together to observe the Lord's Supper. First, the Lord's Supper is a reenactment of the gospel that I just described and explained because it points us to the cross. It compels us to look to Calvary and to consider the crucifixion of Jesus. So as we eat the bread and as we drink from the cup, we are actually reenacting the message of the gospel. As we eat the bread, we're reminded that Jesus bore the, our sin and our guilt in his own body. It reminds us that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of Christ. And the cup points to the blood of Jesus that was shed for the remission of our sin. Remember what the writer of Hebrews said, without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission, no forgiveness of sin. And so, as we reenact the gospel, we're reminded of the price that Jesus paid to secure our salvation. That it was a, it was a significant price. He gave his very life. It's only through his sacrificial death that we're redeemed and restored into fellowship with God. And so by partaking, we are reminded once again that we've been reconciled to God through Christ. And that ought to cause us to express our gratitude and our worship to God through Christ for what we have received, a free gift of salvation. But also let me say this. If you choose to eat this bread and drink from the cup this morning, may you hear the words of Jesus. As a father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus took on flesh and he entered our world. A world that is broken. A world that is chaotic. A world that is literally messed up. And he came into our world to restore the broken and to renew humanity. 
you and I were drawn to Christ by the power of his spirit and, and someone in our life shared with us the good news of the gospel. And now Jesus calls us to do the same. You see, Jesus sends us into a broken and bruised and battered world. And he does so with his message of hope and his message of grace. And so if you and I choose to partake of these communion elements, the bread and from the, the contents of the cup, as we take the bread and place it in our mouth, and as we take the cup to our lips, hear the words of Jesus. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And as you hear those words from the depth of your soul, cry out to God, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Would you bow as I pray? Father, what a rich experience it is to eat the bread and to drink from the cup in remembrance of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The one that you sent to rescue us from our shame, our helplessness, our sin, our transgressions. So that we can be restored into an enriching and life-giving relationship with you. Father, we rejoice in, in the way in which you walk with us each and every day through the power of your spirit. Father, I ask that as we leave from here, the words that we have heard you speak to us today would continue to ring in our ears. As a father has sent me, even so I send you. And may we be those people that live out the gospel, where the gospel is center to all that we do, all that we say, all that we are. May it reflect, Father, may our lives reflect your, your glory and your grace. And so again, I thank you for this day, for this time of worship, for the time of remembrance. We give you glory, Father, in the name of Christ. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash tbcswanriver. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Church or search on your favorite podcast app.